It is my pleasure and honor to introduce our friend Andre Franklin to you today. Let's welcome Andre. Yeah. Hey, come on, y'all. Awesome. So Andre and I have been have developed a friendship over the past year, almost yeah, yeah. something like that. It's been good. And uh, oh, thank you. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and also uh, the beginnings of a of a partnership between Love Chapel Hill and Vinay Church, a church that Andre uh, will be planting. And so um, it's really an honor to have him share with you guys today and, and to begin for you to get to know him. And um, he's going to be challenging us today from Acts chapter 2 uh, as we are celebrating Pentecost, as we have said before. Uh, but I just want to take a moment and pray over Andre and uh, you join me in praying for him as he gets ready to preach with us today. Jesus, I thank you for Andre and his friendship. Um, Thank you for who he is, the way that you have gifted him and empowered him in the calling that you've placed on his life. Thank you for the journey that you have been leading him on to get him to this place. And we bless every step in that journey. The difficult times and the times that were full of hope. Um, every step, we acknowledge that you we're using that to bring him to where he is right now. And uh, we just say that our hearts and minds are open to be challenged today. And uh, we pray over not just his preaching today, but over uh, this life of preaching that you have called him to and this life of leading a church that you have called him to. And we pray that you would continue to bless him with the spiritual gifts and natural abilities, uh, that you would amplify those to empower him to lead your church. Just ask that the Spirit would be all over him today and anoint him in a special way for delivering your word to us. And we pray that you would change us, transform us, challenge us by it today. So in your name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. amen. Can y'all hear me? Well, okay. There's not a lot of feedback. I talked about it earlier, so it's like can't tell if my mic's really on or if it's not. Uh, maybe you're playing a joke on me, so it's fine. Um, but I'm from Houston, Texas originally. Uh, moved to Durham, North Carolina about a year and a half ago with my wife uh, and now two children. Just had a baby about 20 days ago. Uh, so we, two baby girls. I'm a girl dad. I love it. Uh, they're awesome. Uh, big sis is great at what she does. She's great at her job. She already knows uh, how to take care of her uh, younger sibling. Uh, and so uh, we live in East Durham, uh, where we want to plant the church. Uh, and we've been there for about a year of the year and a half. We've lived in North Carolina, and we love our community. And so East Durham, if you were to look at it, East Durham, if you actually looked at it government-wise, geographically, it's pretty vast. I would say East downtown Durham is where we live. So east of downtown, right across the railroad tracks, you will see us. Um, and that's our home. Uh, it's about 50% African-American, 40% um, white, um, and black and brown people are the majority there, and we love that. Uh, my wife is white, I'm black, and we love having conversations about what it looks like to See ethnic ethnic diversity um, in our communities, in our churches. Uh, we love having the real conversations uh, that 
are brutally honest about systematic oppression and systematic injustice that have plagued our community uh, in which we live. Um, and the history of Durham is so beautiful. Uh, and we believe, like for us, that we want to be a church uh, that grows with the tapestry of East Durham. And what I mean by that is that I think so many times kind of within our empire colonial idea of church planting that we come to a space and we say, hey, we're going to save this area. We are going to change the landscape of this area. At some part, I believe that's true. But also at some part, I also know that our community has tons of churches on East Street Corner. They're actually over-evangelized. The, the issue is not necessarily them hearing the gospel message. Although when you sometimes in the American context, we go to an area and we see, oh, they have less than we do, or maybe they're living in different conditions than we are, we might assume that we just need to help them. Um, but at some level, what we've learned from our community uh, is that in many ways they have challenged us, that they have helped us, that they have taught us, uh, and that as we practice the ways of Jesus, that we make our tables larger uh, and not make them smaller, um, but that we learn and grow with one another uh, in understanding of who our rabbi or who our savior is, right? uh, which is Jesus. And so as I talk about the idea of what it means to practice the ways of Jesus uh, in our communities, uh, I hope that you hear the idea of there are some of us in this room uh, that maybe have practiced the ways of Jesus for a long time, and we're well-versed in Scripture, and we're well-versed in things uh, of kind of Christendom. And there are some of us that maybe have just heard the gospel and have fallen in love uh, with what it means to follow Jesus for the rest of the life. Uh, and I want you to know that you're welcome at this table as we talk. Uh, and there are going to be some things that we all don't know and we all learn, hopefully, uh, as we leave from here. And so... Let me pray for us, and then we'll get into it. Oh, Lord, I thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy uh, that follows us all the days of our life. I thank you that you have transformed our minds, uh, that you have transformed us, that you, uh, by the power of your Spirit, dwell in us. I pray uh, for those who might just be learning about who Jesus is today. Uh, that, that your Holy Spirit uh, enlightens them with the greatest gift that we can ever have. Uh, and for those who uh, are maybe struggling this morning, uh, you just woke up and it was a war getting to church that we'd be comforted uh, with your presence this morning. Do you know that you're with us, that you provide for us? And I pray um, for those of us who are excited this morning, are strong this morning, right, who have been steadfast this morning, um, that we be humbled this morning and understand uh, that we are all on this journey of following you. Uh, Lord, we thank you, and we love you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The church said, amen, amen. So, we are talking about Pentecost Sunday. Uh, Pentecost is a Greek word uh, for 
50th, actually, uh, which means 50 days after Passover. And so I don't know if there's a slide up. Hey, there we go. Okay, so what uh, is actually the Jewish holiday or festival is called Shavuot. And when you look at uh, this idea of a holiday, uh, it's like Christmas, right? We have Christmas, we have Thanksgiving, we have all these things. Although I would say the Jewish idea and understanding of holidays is actually pretty intense. So the calendar and what they knew as life moved on the festival system. Um, We don't like to admit that we have kind of the same idea, um, but we do. Um, Just like I said, like Christmas, we go crazy and go into debt to buy gifts for people who probably will give away those gifts or resell those gifts. Uh, But that is our idea, right, of a festival or a feast. Uh, And so this is a harvest festival uh, commemorating God's provision in the substance of his people. Uh, And so the idea of when you, I don't know if anybody's a farmer here in North Carolina, there seems to be more farmers than in Houston, Texas. So I'm not going to, nobody's a farmer. All right, awesome. Uh, So the idea of knowing that you can't predict rain. Now we do have systems in which we can water our crops. um, But at this time, that wasn't the goal. Uh, the idea was, hey, we need rain. Lord, you've made provision for us. That's awesome. Uh, And so you would give a first fruit offering, happened in late spring, um, and included giving two loaves, which is a wave offering. Uh, And so why I mean the importance of this holiday in specific, but also the festivals. Um, If you ever just read through the scriptures, you will see um, the importance of Shavuot and the idea that the law, the Torah, the very thing that the Jewish brothers and sisters would read, memorize, know, uh, was supposedly given on the day or the festival of weeks. Um, And then, I love this, right? The Jewish tradition says, or Jewish history says, that the King David himself was born and died on Shavuot. I believe it's true because the scriptures say it, um, but it also gives a different insight to what I believe um, the, the Jewish culture and how they wrote Scripture was a little bit different than what I would say we perceive uh, the Bible to be. Um, and so if we can go to the next slide. There are a couple things as we get into Acts 2 that I would love for us to know. Uh, there's going to be temple language here. Um, and what I mean by that uh, is that when we see Uh, The coming of the Spirit is equated with the arrival of God's temple presence. What I mean by that is that when we see Acts 2, we're going to see this idea of tongues of fire, right? That seems pretty gnarly for us. I mean, can you imagine just like little baby fires above human beings, right? That's kind of what what it is. Um, But this idea was clear. I mean, you look at the pillar of fire, right, that was happening in the Old Testament, you look at the cloud, right, that was guiding the Israelites. There's, there's this parallel that if we, if we read the text in a different way or if we kind of disengage it from the whole story, that we will actually miss the beauty of this writing, right? We will miss the beauty of it, the essence, the creativity of what the Scriptures are. And then um, when we look at the temple was where God's space and human space collided. Examples, Garden of Eden, Temple, Holy of Holies, 
in us. So I want us to understand that this is not a disengaged story, right? So if you understand the Garden of Eden, where God and humanity dwelled in creation, that's the goal of what we're trying to do here, right? We're trying to see in Revelation the Garden City. That's how it ends up, that where God and human space are together again, to where those who are sick, those who are hurting, those who are broken, which is all of us, we dwell in the presence of God. And that Garden of Eden-like language is back. Go to the next slide if we can. And here we arrive at the text. So if you can turn to Acts 2, 1 through 4. Now, this is the voice translation, so it's a little different, but it gets the job done. That was kind of a joke. All right. It's okay. All right. Um, So uh, let me read for us. I'm going to wait for y'all. If y'all want to turn, y'all can. When the holy day of Pentecost came, 50 days after Passover, they were gathered together in one place. Picture yourselves among the disciples. A sound roars from the sky without warning. The roar of a violent wind. In the whole house where you are gathered reverberates with the sound. Then a flame appears, dividing into smaller flames and spreading from one person to the next. All the people present are filled with the Holy Spirit and begin speaking in languages they've never spoken as the Spirit empowers them. There's so much in Acts 2, I just want to stop there uh, and just let, let's dissect these verses here. If you can go to the next slide for me, just leave it up there real quick. There are two things I want us to take away from this. One is the greatest gift. The Spirit is the greatest gift. God's presence and dwelling and always with us is the greatest gift. Two. The Spirit gathers, empowers, and sends. And so as we talked about temple language, human space, God's space, let's keep that in our mind. And now we see Spirit, and what words were used in the Old Testament is called ruach. Say it with me, ruach. Ruach. Yeah, spit on somebody in front of you, right? Ruach. And then in the New Testament, it's pneuma. I know it looks like pneuma. It's okay. But it's pneuma. Uh, somehow, some way, the P is silent in Greek. I don't know how that works, but it does. And so that means soul and spirit. Uh, and so we go to the next slide real quick. So as we look at this idea of the greatest gift, let me get my text on real quick. As you look at this idea of the greatest gift, we see there was a song that was playing earlier uh, that says, I don't want to go if your presence is not going with me. Um, This idea of Exodus, of Moses saying, it's a picture of Moses, right, saying, hey, hey, God, if you're not going to go with us, I don't want to go to the promised land. If you're not going to follow, if you're not going to be with us, we can't make it. We can't move. 
Ezekiel talks about this idea of the valley of dry bones and talks about how the bones, this valley of dry bones comes together and comes back to life. Jeremiah talks about this idea of the law being written on our hearts. So we kind of came in on a different end of history to where it's normal for the spirit to indwell in human beings. Normal, I would say that's probably an interesting word to use, right? Still a little weird that the indwelling presence of God is within us, right? But our brothers here didn't grow up on that. That was a hope for them. That was an idea for them. That was a future expectation for them. Oh, the law's going to be written on our hearts. I can't wait for this moment. Joel 2, 28, it's like, yo, the Spirit's going to be poured out in all creation. This is crazy. This is exciting. But for us, we're like, oh, yeah, yo, the Holy Spirit's living inside of me. Cool. Like, the actual presence of God is living inside of us. We're like, yeah, we get it. I think, maybe. Right? But it's this idea that they were looking forward to this goal and this idea that this would happen. Like, all the disciples hoping for the day that the Spirit would be poured out on all creation. And so when we see this message that Peter, that Peter preaches uh, after verse 13, he just speaks with boldness. Now, do we remember who Peter was? Do you remember? He was like, Jesus, I will never betray you. And Jesus was like, little do you know, young man, right? And, and Peter just, as soon as it happens, right, he just, I can't help it, just like starts denying, right? Like, and like vehemently denies, like just gets angry. It's like, I can't believe you would associate me with Jesus. That's Peter. Uh, Matt and I uh, were talking earlier, not Matt, Le- Matt, Matt Leroy, um, but my brother Matt right here, he's like right in front of me, uh, one of the greeters. And we were talking earlier, and we were talking about this idea of when did the disciples know that Judas wasn't a follower? Like, it seemed like they were surprised, right? Like, it seemed like they were very surprised when Jesus was like, somebody's going to betray me. And they actually thought it was like, is it, is it me? Is it going to be me? Like these moments, and the reason why I mention that is these moments and ideas that, that we think and determine the end game or who's in or out is that Jesus is gracious. He washed Judas' feet like he did everybody else. Like he knew that Peter would betray, but yet his restorative love, grace, Peter is preaching one of the most powerful messages that we'll see in the New Testament. That's what the Spirit does. Those are the type of things that the Spirit does in our hearts. This gift is the gift that made those who are broken human beings and those that don't always contribute to human flourishing, us, the very temple of God, the the dwelling place that turns broken individuals into the ecclesia, the gathered community. Let me interject real quick. Our mission and our vision says that we are a church. We are a gathered community. And the reason why I use that language is because I believe Acts 2 speaks clear to the gathered community, to the, what God was doing at Acts 2. Yeah, he didn't just institute the church at that moment. But he, that was a plan. That was a part of the plan of gathering all people under the rule and reign of the kingdom. 
Like, let me give you another picture here. So imagine, because we think Jesus is a normal human being. It's like, duh, he was right, right? The kingdom is present. The kingdom is here. That wasn't the case. So imagine somebody just comes up and says, hey, I'm the Savior. Like, clearly, I'm the Savior. Like, somebody walks in here and tells you I'm the Savior, right? And then starts talking about a new type of way to live your life. After years and years of festival pilgrimage, somebody comes in, and you probably have seen this young man live his life, and you know his, his parents, his dad, and you're like, come on, dude, you're not the Savior. But Jesus is like, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure, right? I mean, the dove rested on me, said, this is my son who I'm well pleased. And then what I love about Jesus is when you see the first institution of his gathering of a people. I love this. Because if you're a king, right, what do you do? You need, you, you need a people. You can't just be a king on your own. You can, I guess, right? But you need a people, right? So Jesus frolics around this body of water, finds a father and son fishing group, and he basically looks, I don't know how he looked, I'd imagine, right? Like it was just like his kingliness. And he says, follow me. And his father and son fishing group, of course, right? Like, I see this person, I'm, I'm going to follow him. Yeah, it makes sense. And so now, right, as he continues to gather people, as he continues to teach, you, you see this idea of a kingdom. I feel like sometimes we miss the kingdom connection to this individualistic idea of the gospel. The gospel has always been about a people. Sometimes, right, it's very, if somebody were to ask you, what is Christianity? They'll probably say, well, first of all, right, I need to believe in Jesus. In the moment I believe in Jesus, right, then I make good and bad decisions, but because I believe in Jesus, it, all the bad and the good doesn't matter because I'm resting in Jesus, and now really all the decision that you need is, am I going to heaven or hell? And that's very individualistic. We all know you're going to heaven if you know Jesus, and if you're not, then you don't. The gospel would have been very different in Scripture. But in our hyper-individualistic culture, we don't tend to think about a people. We tend to think about us, individuals. But it was very corporate. And so I just want us to keep that, keep thinking, keep understanding that as we gather as a church, This is part of God's plan. Yes, we are individuals. Yes, but we make up a people. And human flourishing, you can't contribute to human flourishing by yourself, right? You can't just, oh, I'm contributing to my well-being. It doesn't work. The idea was connectivity. The idea was contributing to human flourishing together. And so, uh, thank you so much. Well done. Spirit gathers. Ah, it's been up there how long? Uh, the beginning of the unfolding of God's plan to gather his church all throughout the letters of Paul, the idea of community and unity hinges upon the presence of the Spirit. Let me go back to verse 2. Um, you don't have to go back to verse 2. Stay right there. We're good. I, I don't know if you were going to. I, I saw your hand. I was like, I don't know. Uh, and so, a sound roars from the sky without warning. The roar of a violent wind, 
and the whole house where you are gathered reverberates with the sound. This is the idea of where, where have you seen the Spirit hovering within Scripture? Anybody? Anybody? Hey, okay, yeah, that's what's, give yourself a round of applause. I heard, I heard like Genesis all around. So Genesis 1, right? Spirit's hovering. Spirit renews. Spirit creates. Okay. And then this idea of wind, ruach, right? The spirit blows. It blows. This, so again, connectivity. This is beautiful imagery. This is connected to the idea of what it looks like for the spirit to be the spirit, as it always has been the spirit. And then a flame appears, divided into smaller flames. From one person to the next. All the people present are filled. Where have you seen within Scripture, landscape of Scripture, the presence of God fill a place? Anybody? Temple? Okay, okay. Yeah, right? Here we go. This is, are you seeing a parallel here, right? Between this idea of temple and people. Are you seeing it? Okay, so temple, tabernacle, also, um, we're just going to leave it at that. That's fine. Uh, and so this idea, I'm not going to convolute this idea of a, of a parallel. But when we look at what's happening here is God indwelling and calling us, as Paul would say, you are not your own, you are a temple. Okay. Oh, yep. Thank you. Yep. That's right. Okay. I thought we were going to have. So, uh, so temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and do many of us remember, and so when we talk about language, as we talk about, right, uh, all the people present were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in languages they've never spoken as the Spirit empowers them. And so, you can go to the next slide for us real quick. And so, there's much debate, uh, and there are Christians on both sides. Was this a hearing miracle, or is this people speaking in different tongues, languages, uh, heavenly language? There's been much debate. There's Christians on each side. As I interpret the text, the word used here is glossa, which is just different language. Um, and uh, it's this the voice says they spoke in different languages or they began speaking in different languages. Um, all in the end, it's a miracle regardless. But don't miss this. Tower of Babel, what happened? They all, knew, they all were under one language and they were like, yo, we want to take that top spot. So we're going to build a tower. I don't know how, like what they were thinking. Like I don't know if the tower... Like, I don't know how high the tower got before they were like, this is probably a bad idea. Like, I don't know, but it doesn't tell us that. But the idea was, we're, we're going to build a tower to heaven. We're going to do it. So God's like, nah, that can't happen, right? So God, then what does he do? There we go. That's what I'm talking about. See, we got, guys, hey, I want this to be participatory here, okay? So talk. And if you say the wrong answer, it's all right. There's grace, right? Come on. Uh, and so, but this idea was disperse because human beings, clearly when they speak one language, only want one thing. They're selfish, right? They want things for themselves. Uh, but as we see here, we're seeing a, a gathering 
of people, even though they're ethnically all Jewish, we're seeing God gathering his people from the scattering. That can preach, but I'll just, I'll just read this. Uh, Peter, so the Spirit empowers Peter to speak a bold message in defense of the gospel and the kingdom and validity of Jesus. But this is what I want us to see. Lastly, God intends for the gifts he gives to be a mechanism for the gathering of those who have been scattered. When I, when, I, when I talk about this idea of kind of imperialistic colonial Christianity or church planting, kind of we're just like, come in, we're going to rule this area, we're going to push over anybody that's in the area. We, we usually use a word that, that really, like, it sounds very good, or two words, right? or three words, actually. Share the gospel. And really what we mean by share the gospel is that I come into a space and I give you a message, and I want you to regurgitate that same message in the same language in which I gave it to you. And, and really, the heart behind it, I think, the idea is that we're, we're really going into a space, living a life that's worthy of the gospel, and hoping that people would follow the way and practice the ways of Jesus, and that he would gather his church in this space. And that the people in our community, whether they came to our church or not, would look more like Jesus. Like, that's the hope, right? That the gifts that you use in this context of Love Chapel Hill, the hope is that you would gather those who have went out. Am I right? Like, you, 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 you want to see, see the gospel flourish, the kingdom expand, right? You want to see that, right? And so we use our gifts, and not just, I don't want us just to, to dwell it down to the church, but we use our gifts at our workspace, right? Like we use our gifts in our, in our friend groups. Like you have gifts, gift of hospitality, then open your house and have dinner parties, right? Like you use those gifts for people to come into your space, and hopefully they will gather, and they will be a part of the church. Am I right? It's okay, you can, you, can, you can say yes, you can say amen, you can say anything. Hey, 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 come on now. Ah, up front, thank you. Uh, and let's, uh, let's go to the next slide. And I, I know this, this might be very lecture-ish, um, but one of the things I just want us to understand is if I leave here and give you a foundation to uh, really grasp what it's like and the importance of the connectivity between Acts 2 and Genesis 1 and the whole themes of Scripture, like this idea of what God is doing is he's creating something new. This was not normal. For us, we think this is a norm, right? This was not normal. They were going to the pilgrimage, and they were like, yo, we're going to do the same thing we've been doing for years and years and years, right? We're going to give our sacrifices. We're going to give our two loaves. We're going to do this. And then God's like, hey, hold on. I actually have something new for you. I actually have a new thing. I actually have this idea of even though it's of old, I actually am going to bring it to fruition. And that was exciting. That changed the game, right? It did. And so there's a couple things as I, as I leave here today uh, that I want us to see. 
is that by living a life that recognizes and cherishes the presence of the Spirit and God within us, that, that it would shift the trajectory on how we live our lives. That sometimes we love to be at the front and center of knowing that somebody came to know Jesus because of us. Like, the work we're doing in East Durham, like, like it's not about Andre Franklin, it's not about our core team members, it's not about us at all. Like, but we get to be present in a community that we love dearly. Uh, that we get to be so close to Durham and in Durham and know Durham well. Like, the goal is that we would live lives that are worthy of the gospel and that the Lord will really increase, right? The Lord will do the work, that we will just be faithful with that. That kind of takes a lot of more pressure off of us, if that makes sense, right? That we're not at the forefront of it, but we're really practicing the ways that our rabbi has taught us. And the reason why I continue to say rabbi is because maybe the idea and thinking of following Jesus is more like that than maybe how we tend to think about it. Because when you look at what disciples were, that wasn't an an inherent Christian idea. I mean, you look at Plato, you look at philosophers who had disciples, their criteria is a little different, right? Because it would be very hard to get into one of their classes. But most of these guys were itinerant itinerant speakers, and they would go from town to town to town to town, and you would have disciples that follow you, and one of the sayings was that you'd be so close to your rabbi that you might get caught up in his dust. And what that means is that maybe at the end of your journey with your rabbi that you might look, talk, eat, drink, sleep, just like your rabbi would. And that is what it means to practice the ways of Jesus, that we grow, we learn, we ask questions to Scripture, we, 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 we learn, like, what does it look like for us to live a life that really is embedded in the gospel of Jesus? And then, secondly, by allowing the Spirit to lead us and enable us to practice the ways of Jesus. And this is what I love the most. That uh, looking at the idea of the harvest, uh, that it's so easy for us to live a life that is fearful of scarcity, right? We, we fear that. We fear the idea of not having enough. We fear the idea of even in us is scarcity, that we're not enough. And what is, what is so awesome here in the hope in Jesus that we have is that in this season of Pentecost that we would be thankful for the provision God makes for us on a daily basis. That we wouldn't be consumed with the scarcity of all that we have, but be enamored with the abundance found in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we look at the starting of churches. We look at the power of the Ruach, the Pneuma, right? The Pneuma when we look at what it really means for us to practice the ways of Jesus and see the flourishing of the church, it looks a lot more like church plants happening, but not saying that we individually maybe are bringing the kingdom to this area. That looks a lot more subtle sometimes. That maybe if we're present and consistent in the area for 10 years, 
that the Lord might plant churches in that area, that we would see that area look a little bit different, not because of our campaigns that we might throw as churches sometimes, uh, me being a part of some of those churches and love them dearly, but for us in our context in East Durham, it looks like faithfulness and consistency. It looks like sharing the gospel not just through our words, but through our life, through the opening of our home. Like you always see within Scripture, especially in the New Testament, this idea of language, of glossa, changing this idea of hearing different languages. You always see it happening when, 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 when the barrier of God's people is being broken. And what I mean by that uh, is that in Acts 2, you see languages and you see this idea of this, this spirit falling in, in everybody in this pilgrimage, probably about 10,000 people, because only two, two-thirds of the Jewish brothers and sisters at that point lived outside of Palestine where the pilgrimage was taking place. So, so you see this, this beautiful idea that God is gathering his people across ethnic lines. That sounds, that sounds very pertinent to our time right now, right? We're very polarized in our culture, in our societies. If I, if I disagree with you, I'm not going to church with you. Right? Like Paul, Paul specifically speaks about the power of the Spirit being the, the actual kind of sinew or the actual tie to what it looks like for us to be unified with one another. Unity is hard. It's hard conversations. It's frustrating conversations. My wife and I deal with this in our own marriage, right? We're okay, guys. But she grew up in a very different environment than I did. And so we, we have to learn one another. We have to, even in our own marriage, right, just figure out what, what does this look like and how do I love you well in the midst of all your maybe hurts and pains and scars and those things. And so what, what we see as the church in Acts 2, we're seeing just the start of hard conversations of complexity, although it's beautiful, we're seeing this, 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 this beautiful, new, great thing. But as you see in Acts, please read the book of Acts. Oh my gosh, it's beautiful. Because the imperfect people of God can be great witnesses to the power of the kingdom. And I pray for the church plants and for Love Chapel Hill, that we would be together, powerful witnesses, and not just within comfortable spaces, and not just uh, when we're sharing the gospel, and not just when wherever, but that we would always, in and throughout our life, trust the power of the Spirit that comes on us, that we trust the presence, the indwelling of God himself, the presence of God, the idea that was looked for, please have reverence for that. That it's not, it's not normal. And that we would look different whenever we leave. And so uh, that's all I have. Uh, and I hope uh, we all learned something today. I know I did. Um, and so let me pray for us. Lord, you are good. Again and again we say it. Your faithfulness 
is amazing. In the midst of our fickleness. I pray that we be a people that trust from the power on high. That we understand that we carry in us uh, the very presence of you. That your transformation in our hearts, that we offer our lives up as living sacrifices, that we are not our own, but God, that you are gathering a people. The gathered community is in this space right now. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy as we wrestle in the midst of community with one another. It doesn't mean that it's always going to be beautiful and pristine. But I pray that in the midst of our hardships, in the midst of the beautiful imperfectness of community, God, that we can be great witnesses of authenticity of trusting in your abundance in the midst of trials, trusting in your presence. And Lord, we thank you for who you are and what you do in our lives. And as we come to the table today, God, that as we understand what it means to take your bread and take your juice, is your body and your blood of the new covenant, God, that we have a beautiful reverence, um, but also have a joyful moment knowing uh, that you gave your life for us, that we might live lives of abundance and not of fear of scarcity. God, give us boldness as we leave. Teach us to love well and widen our tables and not shorten them. Lord, we love you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the church said. Amen. And so now we are going into a time, which I'm sure uh, this is a regular rhythm for you all. Um, Weekly, we take the bread and we take the blood of the new covenant, the juice. I keep saying wine, but I'm like, this is not wine. It's okay. Uh, that was. It's a joke. It's okay. Okay. No reverence. We're reverent. Okay. Reverent. Yeah. Uh, so, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he blessed it. And he broke it. He said, "This is my body, broken for you." In the same way, took the cup. He said, this is my blood shed for you, the blood of the new covenant. The generosity of our Savior is at this table. The service, the sacrifice is at this table. Take as big piece of bread as, as you want. Take all of Jesus in this thing, right? It's beautiful. And so um, we will have gluten-free, Matt, right here. Um, I will be holding uh, the bread right here. I'm not going to jump off. Uh, It's not a good idea. 
And then uh, we also have a station over there. And so come as you.